Welcome to the Onyx Pathcast. I'm this week's host, Dixie Cochran, here with Matthew Dawkins. Hello. And Eddie Webb. Hello. Your name is just fun to say, Eddie. I just like saying it. Is Eddie it? Webb. Eddie Webb. Eddie Webb. Eddie Webb. Eddie Webb. Eddie Webb. Eddie Webb. So, so that, that, that sounds like a Pokemon. Eddie Webb. Eddie so Webb. have I actually told you guys why I professionally going with Eddie Webb? No. I feel like you have, but I don't remember exactly. Okay. Um, so uh, uh, there's a couple of reasons. Um, uh, uh, part of it is being fun to say was not one of them. I can add that to the list, actually. Um, but part of it was when I started working, I, because my spelling of my name is, is distinctive, if not unique. Um, uh, I got more attention on, on social media searches, and so I was like, I'd be able to mm-hmm. find it out. Um, but the more important reason, uh, at least not important, is the reason, the first reason why I decided it, and then I found other reasons afterwards, was um, I was reading an interview with uh, the guy who does the layout for Stephen King's covers. And he talked about Stephen King's name is perfect because it has a slightly longer first name and a, a shorter last name. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have that kind of nice big Stephen King block look to when you put, lay out his name on a cover. Uh. Um, and he said the only names that are better than that are names that have identical lengths of first and last name because it gives a nice big solid block you can put on a cover and you can right. easily manipulate that. And so Eddie and Webb both have four characters in each. So I can either put them in a line or I can put them into a nice visual block. And also all the letters are roughly equivalent in, in width. So it gives a nice visual distinctive name. So what you need to do is write more novels, basically. Yes. I, I, I made a decision based on the idea of being a novelist 20 years ago, and I produced exactly zero novels. So. I was going to say, I have, I have one book by you. <laughs> that's, like, that's like just by you. Yes. Is that, is that the um, What's This Other Idiot? Yes. Yeah. And it wasn't even laid out that way. Yeah, it's not, it's not really. <laughs> so, so the entire reason why I made that decision is completely moot. <laughs> Huh. I remember reading some like novel a while back where one of the characters in there was an author and they were trying to get her to change her name because they wanted it to be like at a certain shelf height on bookstore shelves when that was still like a concern. Ooh, oh, last name. I, yeah. I like that. That's a that's a interesting. Like, yeah, concern, they were saying that yeah. I ideally you want to be like in certain parts of the alphabet so that you're at eye level. Hmm. And I was like, huh, I never thought about that. But also I have a good name for that, first and last name, because I've, I've always been, you know, like when I was in school and they would do our desks or whatever by name, um, whether they did first or last, I was always like in the first five people yeah. <laughs> because Dixie Cochran, DC. Mm-hmm. So like I've got these two early letters, whereas Eddie, like your position would change drastically if it you would. were in like first or last name. Um, so, but yeah, I was, I was always just like, well, I guess this is, this is my, this is where I am. Also, it sort of, it felt weird when I started writing because I realized that just by default of my last name, I am often going to come first in the credits unless we have like a John Burke or an Anderson or something, you know? Mm-hmm. And you and Matthew always come ahead of the credits on me, so. Yeah, exactly. Like on books where we all work together, like on uh, Pirates of Pugmire, like I think I'm first and then Matthew. <laughs> And then a bunch of other people, and then Eddie. And it's funny, it's like when all three of us work on a project, you and Matthew are almost always clustered together near the front, and then it's like a huge list of names that is going to me way at the end. <laughs> well, We're just saving the best for last, Eddie. No, one, uh-huh, one sure. must assume that on the bookshelf logic, there's a, there's a benefit to being named like Aaron A. Aardvark. The, um, <laughs> because some people, well, that's a character from Mega City 1. 
Uh, <laughs> who, who, I don't know what you're even talking um, about. Judge Dredd. Yeah, um, he was the first person to be executed when Judge Cal started executing people in alphabetical order in Meg- Mega yes. City One. Aaron A. Ardvark yeah. went all the way through to okay. Z- Zebedee Z. Ziggurat, I think. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, because I, I know that sometimes if I'm in a bookshop and just browsing, I will start in alphabetical order because I'm. Well, I don't even consider that pedantic. I will just start up there and start making my way across. But if I was mm-hmm. four foot tall, I may not. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> I, as a person who often cannot reach the top shelf of bookshelves, I, uh, I, I understand that. Yeah, there you go. Like we had, we had a lot of ladders and stools at the bookstore I used to work at because many of us were small women. And uh, even just shelving, like you would, you would kick a little stool around with you while you were doing shipment, because for the ones that are like freestanding, those I can usually reach the top of. But then if you go into like a typical, like you know, Borders, Barnes and Noble, whatever, I know Borders just doesn't exist anymore, whatever. Sure. Um, but the, the like the bookshelves that are built into the wall often go up like seven feet or so, and that's just like seven eight feet is above my reach. Right. Well, most people's so, reach, to be fair. I mean, most. Okay, so if you're like five foot ten or taller with your arm length, you can generally reach up to close to eight feet. Well, okay, fair, but you can't really see the spines even at six feet tall. So I mean, like, if, if, if at that point those books, I'm just trying to feel special because I'm short, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> you're special for many reasons, Dixie. Not, not not only including your height. It's just like an ongoing thing with me and Monica Specka, where she talks about how tall she is, and I'm like, I'm very small compared to you. Have you been in the same rooms with Monica? Yes. Okay. We met at a couple of conventions. How different is the height? Uh, she's about nine inches tall. Or no, she's she's close to six feet. So she's uh, close to a foot taller than me. So you can barely see her face. <laughs> I'm kind of used to this. My best friend is five uh, eleven, mm-hmm. so I'm 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 just used to <laughs> hanging out with women that are much much taller than myself. We actually used it to our advantage for quite a few cosplays. Because uh, we did like Daria and Jane from Daria, mm. uh, we, we we did Pinky in the Brain. Nice. Uh, yeah, we'll just like seize on anything that has a good height difference and make those costumes. <laughs> it's fun. I do Mister Mister Croup and Mister Vandermar from uh, Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman. That would be fun. Mm. Yeah. I love Neverwhere. Uh, the only the only Gaiman characters we have done are uh, Death and Delirium from Sandman. I like remember saying you're. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? I remember which one you played. <laughs> you were probably Death, I'm guessing. No, I was Delirium. Oh, she really? Very small compared to Death. Yeah. I just figured Death would be more your aesthetic. Uh, death is more my aesthetic. I have cosplayed Death many times, but when it comes to doing a group cosplay with Laura, the you know five foot ten, five foot eleven, slender, also goth girl, uh, gets uh, to be Death, and I got to put a bunch of weird colors in my hair that, in in addition to my already green hair, and wear. Uh, Rainbow tutus and butterflies and stuff. It was actually really fun. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, none of this is what we're talking about this week. <laughs> as no. usual. We just had a random random conversation, as we do. Uh, also, I switched microphones for this recording, and it looks like it's still messing up my compression. So uh, that's going to be a fun thing to figure out Yay. at some point. I've been having some audio issues. I apologize to anybody out there who thinks I've been sounding weird, metallic, and canned. I'm trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Uh, if any audio experts want to contact me, <laughs> please. 
hit me up on Twitter and I'll try to figure this out. Um, but this week we talked to Neil Raymond Price about the state of Scion. I just kind of went through uh, all the books, both the ones that are out already and ones that are upcoming. Um, had a nice little sit down conversation mm-hmm. about where the line is and where the line is going and the contents of a few of the books. Okay. So. And teases for a couple things like we talked a little bit about God even. Yeah, and uh, for this interview, we put Matthew in a box. Yeah, I, I did have the option of going in the tin can, the one that Dixie uh, sits in when she's speaking to a <laughs> microphone. But I, I'm going for the box. The box is roomy. I, 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 I highly recommend it. Yeah, yeah, we're just going to toss it into the sea, though, for, for Matthew. Oh. If, if, if... <laughs> I appreciate that. Or in a grave. Well, either if of those anybody ones. has seen uh, the music video for The Cures close to me, that's, that's exactly what oh, we I did see. with Matthew. Okay. <laughs> Put him in a box, showed them off a cliff, filled up with water. It was a whole thing. It was really cool. We could put you in a watery grave. Mm. Yeah, they came from beneath the grave. Within the watery grave. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's uh, let's listen to this interview with Neil. We are here with me, Dixie, Eddie Webb. Hello, who's that, Dixie? And Neil Price. Hello. Neil Raymond Price, because he likes to use his middle name like a fancy man. Fancy. That is my, yes, that is, that is my nom de plume. So that's, that's not your real name then? <laughs> and does a nom de plume have to be different from your real name? I don't know. Traditional. Because I thought Alexander Dumas was a nom de plume. I mean, it, it just means name, name of writing. I'm going to look it up now. Oh, Eddie has taken over the Googling uh, portion of this podcast from me. Yes, because you're the host. I don't want to take it away from you. We're going to sit here in silence until we find out what a nom de plume is. That's not how this works. You're supposed to be talking <laughs> while I look something up. <laughs> they clearly have only worked on one side of this equation. Yeah, I mean, usually I just sit here in silence looking things up and then popping in at the end of a conversation that I have completely tuned out of by giving y'all <laughs> random facts about things like the Resident Evil composer who faked his way to uh, stardom. So a nom de plume is a pseudonym, or in some cases, a variance form of a real name adopted by an author. Oh. So you do not have a nom de plume, Neil? I don't. You should get one. I don't know if I should at this point. I'm fairly well established, and this is... The name I go by. So Peel I... Rice. Peel Rice. Yeah, I like it. Peel Nice. That works. All right. That's all we're talking about today. We're not here talking about non-diplumes. <laughs> noms de plume or nom de plumes? Is it like noms Inspectors General? Yes, okay. Inspectors General. Noms de plume. Okay. <laughs> we are talking about the state of Scion. Neil, what state is Scion in? Um... New Jersey. <laughs> That's a weird place for it. You're not even in New Jersey. Oh. Oh, no. Or are you Sopranosing? Oh, I'm yeah, Sopranosing. That's what that was, yeah. <laughs> Giuseppe Stromboli. <laughs> did you put <laughs> your name in the Gabagool of Fire? Did you put your fucking name in the Gabagool of Fire? That's your number two, obviously. <laughs> Giuseppe Stromboli? Giuseppe Stromboli? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, for those who don't know, I will put the link to the Giuseppe Stromboli tweet <laughs> in the show notes so that uh, everybody can understand why that's funny to us. 
Because <laughs> uh, past that doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you have no idea what we're talking about. Also, sorry for the very bad Italian accents. Um, will I be doing Ooh. that ever? Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> I will turn this podcast around right now. <laughs> we are... For real, talking about the state of Scion, where it is as a line, where the different books are, what some of the upcoming books are going to contain. Um, it's kind of just plans, not like, I'm not going to go to like future plans because y'all don't get to know that until we announce it on the blog. But if it's been announced on the blog, we can chat about it right now. And that's exciting. Yep. So it's been a couple of years since uh, Origin and Hero are released now, Neil. How are you feeling about them looking back in 2020? Um, you know, I'm a tinkerer. I Eddie has chided me about this several times working yes. with him, but I will, I will keep tinkering with things right up until the last little part of it. And then six months after a book is released and on my shelf, I will think, man, I could have done this part so much better <laughs> to a degree. Pretty much everyone's like that, but I, I love to go back and tinker and fiddle right up until the last moment. So looking back at origins and hero, I'm, I'm happy about the team. I'm very proud of the work we did and, and all the efforts that were made. It was truly a heroic effort, um, but I would do things completely differently now. Yeah, yeah. Are there, is there anything specific you would want to like mess with, or um, would it be more about the, putting like Origin out first, like more of a Trinity Core kind of situation? Like what? So I'll be frank. I really I took the opposite um, design philosophy that Ian Watson did with the Trinity Core and Aeon. Um, I wanted. I, I thought the meat of the game was at Hero, and, mm. I, and I thought that's where mm -hmm. it was, and I wanted that to be the prime experience. And I wanted—I knew that we were going to be putting out supplemental lines like Dragon and possibly other things. Um, so I wanted Origin to be a book that kind of stood on its own, and so I made Origin as bare bones as I possibly could, and then made Hero the big meat of it. And I don't think that was the right choice. I think. Um, both I, I, I miss the mark and that even though it's slimmed down, it's very God focused and divinity focused. So it doesn't mm -hmm. really fit as like a generic, you know, world of darkness, first edition chronicles of darkness, um, core book. Mm -hmm. the right. It was when the new world of darkness was released. Right. Um, and it doesn't really stand on its own as a setting, unfortunately. So, um, you need hero to really get the, the the gist of what the world is and what it's about and the characters you'll be playing. And whereas I think Trinity Continuum, um, the Trinity Continuum core book is its own setting. It's completely fleshed out. You can you can play, you know, espionage heroes in the modern day. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's tactical mm -hmm. espionage action right there. Yep. And Aeon is your far future space opera and then Avengers Super. And so I just think that were I to go back now and were I to redo it, I would either condense everything into one book and just start with Hero, or I would actually take the time and really flesh out Origin into its own setting and own book. Of course, I say that now, but doing two core books nearly killed me, and doing one of those core books twice as big as it should be, you know, mm -hmm. uh, would, would definitely have killed me. So... Um, yeah, you know, live and learn. I'm glad you didn't die. I am glad I did not die either. Just in general. I don't want people to die when they're working on books. Oh, I will thanks. say that having done uh, uh, an even bigger book like B20 in a, probably an eighth of the time, because I had like four months, um, yeah, it, it, it's not fun. 
I, I don't encourage no. it. I don't recommend it at all. I'm still always in awe of the fact that you did V20 in like four months. Like how? How? Um, lots and lots of caffeine and not much else in my life except for that for four months. Yeah. You had to deal with me yelling at you from the blog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember a, a certain young and scrappy Neil Raymond Price telling me about how I had screwed up a salubri completely and irrevocably. You did. <laughs> I should hire him to rewrite it. I, I, that's Isn't not that, quite, like, exactly the advice we give people not to do? Right, that's not quite to, the way I phrased it. How exactly did you phrase it? I said, you done fucked up the salubri. You <laughs> should have given it to me. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't say anything about what you should do in the future. I was making a commentary on your past actions. It's valid criticism, and that's fine. <laughs> you know, my therapist tells me to avoid should statements. It's true. They're not great. Wobot tells me that too. <laughs> Every day. Well, Wobot's like, don't do should statements. And yet, For those of you who don't know, Wobot is a cool little app that is a, essentially a robot therapist. It's pretty great. Actually, oh, yeah. I should have downloaded it. Uh, I see what you did there. <laughs> um, but no, actually, Wobot is, is actually pretty cool. It's, it's a nice little kind of everyday little check-in thing. It, it's, 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 a, it's a script. It's pretty clearly a script. But, you know, at the same time, it's sometimes nice to just yell at an inanimate object. And have it yell back. Also, it tells you stories about like the microwave and the fax machine and their love triangle, yeah. and uh, sends you animated gifts and all kinds of cool stuff. I like Robot. So, talk about Origin and Hero. Um, nobody has really seen Demigod yet as of right now. So, why don't we talk a little bit about what's in Demigod? Ooh. I mean, we've seen Demigod, but like the public has not. So I've said this before, and I, I may have even have said this before on, on this podcast, but what I really wanted to do was make Demigod um, feel fundamentally different from Hero in a lot of ways. It's, it's a way to take the, the game that you had in Hero and play it in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. I, would, I played the first Scion quite a bit, and I picked up the Hero book for that, and, and I had a good time. But then Demigod really felt like more of the same, just right. a little bit bigger. And right. unfortunately, the, the system broke in two at, at those bigger parts. So it was not a very scalable game. And we already defined the full scale of Scion. You, you saw what everything's going to be in origin, you know, top to bottom. But I really wanted to bring in a lot more mechanics about what that means and, and what that means for the world and what it means to be your character. So when, when you make a choice to become a demigod, you are saying to the universe, I'm going to be a god. And it sort of tips the internal balance that you have between your divine and mortal sides towards the divine side. And so your mortal side, mortal side starts burning away. Um, and this, is, uh, th this isn't literal, although it can be literal for some people. Cool. And just your, your mortal, you have to deal and resolve a lot of your mortal issues. Um, and then eventually at the very end of your journey, you will die. Or I should say, you will shed your mortality. Most oh, of them okay. do it by dying. And if you've gone through all your quests right and you've succeeded in your quests, you have successfully constructed the divine identity that's called a mantle. Mm -hmm. And that's the god that you will become. And so you, you essentially die and you're, you know, the god awakens. That's you. But your, your mortal self is gone. So basically, I like to say that the demigod is a process of saying, I'm going to shed my mortality one way or another. Mm-hmm. And to that end, we kind of 
describe a character arc that the story guide and the player should work out together that their that their character will go down there. It's almost like the Chronicles of Darkness game Promethean, where mm. you have milestones that you need to hit as you wait as you go through it. And in some ways you can also say it's a reverse Promethean because Promethean is all about the goal of becoming human. Right. Reverse Promethean. I like it. I like it. Um, so that is, so origin level play, I mean, if, if people listen to what Matthew, Eddie, and I ran, can be a bunch of different things. Ours was kind of a little bit of action adventure, a little bit of intrigue, you know, pretty cool stuff. But we didn't have a whole lot of powers or anything. We just had a couple of, like, things we could hit here and there. Yeah. Um, if we keep going with that ever and decide to roll into hero, we'll be, you know, a little bit more fighting monsters like we'll we'll move up into the space that our like handler was in before you know mm-hmm. where we're actually going around we know some of the secrets we know what's going on we we've, we've we've talked to gods a few times here and there so what is gameplay like in demigod does it take you more away from the world itself is there just more weirdness is there more interacting with gods like what's what's a game of demigod look like to you yeah, so at Demigod, you definitely have enough scale to directly engage with gods if you want to. They can't just wave their hand and and brush you aside anymore. Um, we put a lot... There, there aren't very many new uh, boons in the book, and there aren't any new purviews, mm-hmm. but what we do have are what's called casual miracles for each boon um, and each purview. So you can... Um, buy into a purview and you can buy what's called dominion over it, which means I, I am that thing. And, <clears throat> you know, if you look at the gods, the way they're statted up in hero, you can start to see which ones have dominion and which ones don't just by the way they're described and how many purviews they ultimately have. Mm-hmm. The gods with very few purviews probably have dominion in all of them, which means they are those things. Whereas a god like Sun Wukong has 12 purviews, but doesn't have dominion in any of them. Casual miracles just simply allow you to alter the alter the game world and alter the setting on a narrative level um, just by your very presence. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, having casual miracles and fire means you can you can see through every fire around you. You can feel the the potential for fire in bad wiring or in uh, a rotten building that's ready to go up in flames. Um, you could start or stop fires upon your command. You would have social benefits with firefighters. And um, when you activate your casual miracles, people in the same scene um, can have access to a a suite of new feats that you can can use and new um, stunts. Yes, and new stunts you can use. Um, So essentially by having a god of fire walking around nearby you, everything becomes more flammable. Everything. That sounds dangerous. Yeah. I don't want any fire gods around me. It's a lot more dangerous when you're, I don't know, a god of love. It's true. Why? Why is that more dangerous when you're a god of love? Because you might fall in love. Yeah. That's the power of love. Um, Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) I couldn't help it. I knew you would do it. That's why I said it. I'd say love is more dangerous than the war purview because love is a battlefield. <laughs> heartache to heartache we stand. Okay. Y'all, this is like, it's not a Dixie karaoke hour. Stop it. Stop <laughs> making me want to sing songs. <laughs> well, then, uh, one thing I do want to kind of, since we're talking about Demigod, um, 
just just today, even I got a comment. Um, I think people are a little confused, maybe because they have familiarity with how Scion first edition rolled out. There's this perception that the because Demigod got an out that the core line is not quote unquote finished yet. Um, and my understanding, like you said before, is that the scale of the game is spelled out in the very first book, and then Demigod and God ultimately will kind of just give you different ways of playing and iterating on that core experience. Does that seem accurate to you as well, or do you have a different perspective on how yeah, that, that comes out? That's absolutely accurate. I think when we get to God, and God is still in the pitch stages, and I'm going to, um, I have to give to you and Rich, mm-hmm. um, but... What, what God is essentially, what the, the, the thing I have in, in, envisioned right now is that it's going to be you playing out mythic stories uh, with your characters, but also you dealing with the fact that you are now a religious figure. And to, to borrow a D&D term, you're, you're the one granting clerics their spells. Right. So what does that, what does that mean for your character? How, does those, how do those relationships work? And at the same time, gods want to experience the world and still do the things that they're known for, but they, they don't want to, you know, melt everyone's brains and fate bind everyone by coming down directly. So they spin off what are called incarnations of themselves, which are, you know, the human forms of gods, uh, living out their stories in the world. Mm -hmm. And that effectively brings the whole game full circle back to origin. Right. And so you, you, you have these little origin level characters and these little origin vignettes running alongside your giant mythic game. What if you want to melt people's brains? You can do that. Um, other gods are probably going to be pretty upset about it. What if they're chaos gods? They'd probably be fine with it. Yes! Scion of Eris, here I come! <laughs> uh, <laughs> Alright, so that's that's like what demigod gameplay is like. I... I still would love like a more concrete example of like what kind of caper some demigods would get up to, in your opinion. Like if you were going to run demigod for us right now, what would they be doing? Um, I would take you into the underworld. Um, Which one? Those are def- uh, definitely the Vale. Ah, uh, yes. But, yeah, but probably also um, the Aztec underworld is really interesting. The Chinese, Chinese, Japanese... Hindu Buddhist one is really interesting because those are those are all kind of the same one. Mm-hmm. Um, the the uh, the god of death is the same the same god in all those religions, and he's vastly overworked. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, poor poor King Yama. Life is hard. Playing playing the overworked god of death would also be fun. <laughs> like I think that's why I enjoyed. Uh, there's a video game called Death and Taxes. I don't know if either of you have played it. I know that Neil has seen it. No, I haven't. Um, you're literally just playing a low-level Grim Reaper bureaucrat, and you get a bunch of briefings each day, and you have to decide who dies. Oh, wow. Uh, because you're the Grim Reaper. Uh-huh. And they give you special instructions with each batch of them, like, you know, at least three people have to die or whatever. And you're, you have to make like, all, all these weird decisions, and then the game spins off into an even stranger place later. It's a, It's a pretty fun little, like, you know... Two three hour time waster kind of game. It was a, it was a lot like Papers Please. I was about I... to say yeah. it sounds like Papers Please. Yeah, only you're the Grim Reaper. That's yeah, cool, which is amazing. Uh, well, you are one of the Grim Reapers. You you report to somebody too. I don't know. It's yeah. it's a whole thing. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, if I were running a game for you, I would take you into the underworlds. I would make you um, absolutely feel like you're just throwing off miracles casually that mm-hmm. are completely impossible for heroes to do. 
Um, and I would definitely center the game around you becoming essentially a major figure in a new religion. Because you think about it, demigods are transforming their culture. We still talk about Hercules as a as a paragon of strength, right? Mm-hmm. Herculean um, tasks. Yeah, he, yeah, and we we say Herculean tasks, and this is. You know, in the timeline of Scion, this that's thousands of years later, you're still saying it. Um, so these stories are very enduring, and even in their lifetime, they start being worshipped by people, or you know, they're, they're expected to become a god, and you're like, oh, remember me when you're a god. And so how does it feel to you to become, you know, a, a new part of an established religion that you were raised in? Like it's, it's like it's like if you were raised Catholic. You know, and the Pope said you are a living saint. Like, what, is, what does that mean? It's like, going to be weird. How people, yeah. How do people react to you? It will be weird. That would go right to your head. I would not. I would take the duty with great solemnity. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, of course. We completely, be- we completely believe in you. I don't like that you both giggled at that. I I I, I oh, trust no. that you would be able. To, I, I can't finish the sentence. I'm sorry. <laughs> wow. The closest thing you would become to a saint would be some kind of wrestling character called the saint, who's actually a heel. That's true. El Santo. El Santo. Um. Anyway, so that's that's cool. So I know we're gonna be seeing some demigod coming up soon i'm very excited for that let's talk a little bit about plans for god before we go to all the side projects not side projects but you know supplements things that aren't the core four books sure like i said it's in the pitch phase right now and i fundamentally see it as a different way of playing hero rather than a different way of playing demigod even though it's the next one in sequence um you know you you have your you have your prime god um but you also god have, Prime. yeah, God Prime. But you also have related mantles of a god. Um, so, for example, uh, the, you know, if you played Assassin's Creed Odyssey, you run around to the different um, little Greek towns and everything back in ancient Greece, and there's always a local god, and it's usually like Apollo something or other, or mm-hmm. Aphrodite, you know, th- this place, and that was a huge component of Greco-Roman religion is having those sort of um, local gods or local variants of the, of the, the top gods. And that's actually a very common feature around a lot of religions. So we decided to systematize it for Scion. Um, and you've got, you, like, you've got your Woden, your Wotan, your Odin. Um, and so we saw, you know, the prime god is the one who defined the mantle and created it, but they can undergo other deeds and other adventures to essentially build up a sort of divine charge to make subsequent mantles. And maybe they're doing that to break free of the monotony of their uh, fate bindings. Maybe they're doing that to kind of replay their story a little bit to get a better ending, to use a video game terminology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, they can they create additional mantles and they can actually gift these mantles to other people or other scions. Um, one of the endings that we have in demigod for, for becoming a God essentially is to, um, you can walk like your parents until your parent walks like you. You can try to say to fate, I'm a better Aphrodite than Aphrodite. And, um, you may very well be, especially if you cause that God to 
uh, doubt themselves or to fall into an area where they're denying their own legend. And you can go, see, see, I'm, I'm a better Aphrodite than Aphrodite. Um, but one of the ways that gods can actually kind of buy off a really ambitious scion like that is to spin off one of these little mantles um, and gift it to their scion, their up-and-coming scion, at the moment of their apotheosis. And so rather than becoming, rather than taking the full mantle of Zeus or Jupiter, uh, you become Jupiter Optimus Maximus, the, the actual like god of law in the Roman, the Roman Empire. Um, or you become Zeus, I'm going to butcher the name, uh, Lycios, which is like a patron of wolves and werewolves. Um, so that's definitely something you can do in God, that kind of divine politicking, those kinds of like little adventures you go on. But also I wanted to have a lot of mortal vignettes that showed a sort of retrospective of your character's deeds in demigod and, and hero. Because when you become a God, you do partially rewrite reality. And so many of the gods were always gods, even even from the start. Um, in the fiction of Scion, you you know a lot of Scions do, do not start as gods, but we say that a lot of the gods who claim to have been born as gods, like for example Athena, were once Scions, and once they ascended to become a god, they rewrote their own history, so they were always that way. Hmm, that's cool. Got a bit of like a time time thing going on there, messing with yes. stuff. So as you're as you're a god, you can also um, spin off little stories and vignettes of uh, your incarnations walking through the world and seeing the the effects of your demigodhood and the effects of your godhood mm -hmm. in the world itself. So it's it's a sort of um, and you you get an input on how society sees you for good or for ill, right? Um, and then. The last thing you can do, and this is sort of the, what I guess an MMO would call um, uh, post-game content, um, is you can create your own pantheon. And doing that essentially means taking a number of people from the same pantheon or a different pantheon and going on a series of quests to sort of set the stage and choose a culture and become gods of a new people. And... Um, in doing so, you have the option, and not everyone takes the option, but, but many do, uh, to s rewrite history again and sever your relationship with your prior pantheon and make a new pantheon in what's called a creation myth. That, That's if cool. You to, if you want to, you can say, you know, this, this, is, this is how we created the world. And it's the ever-churning process of gods and pantheons doing this that keeps the world solid against, you know, dissolving into chaos. Nice. That's super exciting sounding. I would love to play a game that like went through to the, you know, end game, make our own pantheon kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, if you really wanted to, you could start a whole new Scion game back at Origin and Hero as Scions of the new pantheon and the new gods. And we gave time you, loops. So many time loops. You, yeah, we gave you... Um, we, we give you the option of making your own pantheon and what it needs to look like in Companion. We're going to be vastly expanding that in God to talk about pantheon roles and that sort of thing. So, yeah. Well, I was going to ask you about the Companion next anyway. So look at that. Look at that segue. Oh. So the Companion was developed by Megan Fitzgerald, correct? Yes. And what is in that book? 
Uh, we've I've definitely talked about it on this podcast before, but just to give a brief recap, um, the companion is all of the Kickstarter goals from the original Scion uh, Kickstarter. Um, it's been a little delayed because of various reasons, but um, it's finally coming out. It was released to backers some time ago, but we had to make a couple modifications to it, uh, both for Arata's sake and for a couple of content reasons. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that that happens. Like, when we do the errata process and when we talk to fans and get their feedback, like, sometimes it's a matter of here's a typo or this thing doesn't line up with the previous book and we have to go, oh, crap, sorry, like, missed that, you know. Mm-hmm. We're not perfect. No one is. But then sometimes people do point out something that we just didn't catch or that maybe we've changed our minds on since it was written. <laughs> yeah, it, it was the latter case in, in this one. Um, a lot of our foreign fans, who are who are very many across the world, um, had a bit of discomfort with the concept of Columbia as a goddess. Columbia is mentioned in the core book, and for those who don't know who she is, Columbia is um, a national personification, sort of the same way of, of like John Bull or Uncle Sam are. Uh, Columbia specifically had the trappings of, a, of divinity to her uh, to sort of give uh, a divine feeling to the ideals of America um, around the early the early 19th century or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, um, I, I put her in there because I, I sort of strongly disagree with the sentiment that patriotism and concept of nations inevitably lead to ethnic supremacy moments or blind nationalism. And I do know that there's many, many countries that have national gods or uh, gods of a certain people. And so I thought it'd be interesting if you had the, the this sort of commentary on the virtues of the American ideal versus um, what America was built on. But um, in the last couple of years, especially, uh, the topic has been coming up more and more. It's become increasingly politicized. And um, I wanted to be Columbia to be originally be a representation of the, the good in America and the complexities of dealing with America's original sins. Mm-hmm. I don't want to shy away from complex topics and thought-provoking statements in a game just because it's a game, right? But, right. Um, America's original sins are very, very complex, and they are a real struggle for, for many, many people today, you know, by POCs and and um, other, other immigrants coming here. And I don't want to shy away from the conversation, but I didn't think that Companion was the place to have it. And... Um, it, to do justice to those original sins, we would need more than the write-up of Columbia that we had and more than a, a couple sidebars here and there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's the thing is that that part was written, I would say, with the best of intentions. And it was also written before the Black Lives Matter protests like exploded across the country this summer. So in light of all the tensions happening right now, especially in the U S but also abroad, like, and how people are kind of seeing the U S right now here and there, we decided to change a few things. And that does happen sometimes. Like sometimes, you know, like, like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll write something and we'll think we've done all the right things and we'll think we've gotten it checked by the right people. And somebody will come up and go, Oh, actually. And we go, Oh shit. Didn't even see that. Sorry. You know, we're all human. We're all learning every day. Right. So, yeah, punting it later in the line has the big benefit of allowing us to bring in native writers and black writers and and pretty much anyone else who would deserve a say in the conversation about America 
and give mm-hmm. enough time for the other writers to deal with the fragility and feelings that kind of come along with that conversation. Yeah, exactly. So is there anything else in Companion you want to talk about before we scoot on to some other projects? You know what? I'm really proud of the Atlanteans. Um, the pitch I did for them, the Atlanteans were originally in first edition and they were sort of a, a dead pantheon in, in, in portrayed in the Demigod book. And um, they were kind of statted up as parents, but they didn't really give you any way to play a scion of them. Um, and they didn't have a Pantheon-specific purview. And then in the Scion Companion, you were given their Pantheon-specific purview. Uh, so you could effectively play a you know a, a, a Scion of the Atlantean gods. Um, you know, for a few reasons, partly because it was tied to the way Atlantis was done in that setting, they didn't resonate with a lot of fans. But I wanted to bring them back and and sort of give them the same revamping that every other Pantheon did. And I think that the writers, Michael Goodwin and um, Robert Vance, did an amazing job on them. The sort of pitch I did for them was, I want to see new gods, Kirby-style new gods in Scion, and you can go the full Kirby if you want to. And they went full Kirby. Um, And that's never never a bad choice. No, no. I I think it's amazing that you guys did that too. Yeah, the Atlanteans are... um, crystal hypertech divinities um and they've they've hidden away from the world and now it's time for them to return and so so they're kind of the isu from assassin's creed kind of yeah i like it i like it now we can definitely play assassin's creed and scion (laughs) that makes me happy uh so that's the companion uh which will be coming out soon yep soon ish um, we also have what? Gosh, we have so many books. Uh, we have our kind of what I'll call almost the the side books, the like other supplements. So we have Titanomachy, Mass of the Mythos, and Dragon. Right. That are all in production currently. Right. Um, is there anything I talk about any of those? I've only read one of them, so. Um, yeah, we we are still doing some work on Mass of the Mythos, um, both to. Uh, because because we want to get the tone exactly right. And there's been, you know, without belaboring the point again, there's been a lot of discussion about um, H.P. Lovecraft and his very problematic legacy. And uh, I, I don't want to make any public statements because Neil Gaiman made what I thought was a pretty innocuous statement. And he got ripped to shreds on Twitter about it. So all I'm going to say is that we're, we're taking very careful steps and we're taking a very hard look at the... the um, things we say in that book and how we're saying them. Mm-hmm. And I think Chris Spivey is definitely, is absolutely the right person to do the job. I think, I think he's done a great job. Oh yeah. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a process that needs to go forward and I, I definitely trust him and I trust the team. So. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's part of how we got Chris to work on it is because with Harlem bound, he's got previous experience at, dealing with H.P. Lovecraft and the mythos while also not shying away from the kind of person that Lovecraft was. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so that's, that's, that's something that, I mean, we definitely hired him on purpose. Okay. <laughs> like, he's a good developer either way, but he was really right Excellent. for this project. Yeah. Um, and then we have Scion Dragon, developed by Danielle Lazan. Mm-hmm. 
And what can you tell us about Dragon? Tell us about the state of Dragon. Dragon is um, a supplement to Origin, and it's a one-and-done book. You can go from um, baby Origin-level dragons to uh, full-on, you know, almost God-scale serpent-swallowing-the-world-style dragons. I just pictured you actually playing like baby dragons, baby like dragons. just cute little just just hatch <laughs> like dragon babies. Yeah, they'll set your face on fire. <laughs> dragon babies. Okay, sorry. Okay, um, I have a problem. <laughs> so, dragon definitely um, is a one and done book. It definitely has. Uh, that aspect to it. When, when we started Dragon, when we started doing this, we, we had always intended to do um, third parties to the Titan War. The core conflict of Scion um, is honestly between the gods and humanity, but it's really, if you want to sort of widen out, out a little bit, it's about the gods defending humanity from the Titans. And in second edition, the Titans aren't all evil and things are very balkanized and things are very complex. And there's a lot of different ways the pantheons deal with them, but the general idea that the Titans are getting more rowdy and starting to really ramp up their aggression against the world, and now's a time for heroes, uh, is sort of the, the core rising action of Scion. Um, so we always intended to have third parties to that Titanomachy conflict. Um, individuals that were super powered and could interact with gods on um, the same playing field, maybe not an equal playing field, but at least the same ballpark, right? Um, to, you know, use fiction examples, um, there's many dragons that, uh, you know, debate with the gods or fight heroes or that sort of thing. And then um, in a lot of Celtic fiction, especially, you have the the different types of the good folk or the fair folk who are extraordinarily powerful and on the level of what you would think a divinity would be, um, even if they don't ever explicitly like get in a room and fight. So um, we were always looking at doing that, and Dragon was definitely the, Dragon's the the first book in the line for that. You know, I, I definitely will be clear that I think um, if I had a chance to do it again, I would have put a lot more hooks for that in Origin, and I would have mm -hmm. put a lot more clarification that Scion is your own game. Um, you know, if you want to play Scion where the, the different dragons aren't related to one another and are just functions of whatever pantheon that they're from and work the same way that legendary creatures do in each of the, the pantheons, and then, you know, by all means, you can do that. But if you wanted to have a third party, a third faction in the, the God-Titan War, if you wanted to say that all of these myths about um, Thunder Lizards and you know giant reptiles have a commonality to them and have a common mythology and if you want to make an artistic statement about what the nature of avarice is and what the nature of secrets are um then you would need an entirely other book and that's just what we did mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think some of the things when we start doing supplements after the kind of core line is planned out is sometimes you you know hit upon an idea for a supplement that's really cool, but that you didn't kind of seed an idea for earlier. Yeah. And that's fine. It's not a big deal. Um, but it, it is something that, like, you know, in hindsight, everything would connect perfectly, obviously. Well, yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, it's like, you know, that, that that's 
a natural evolution of a game, particularly a, a game line that's successful, um, is that you're going to think of new mm-hmm. things and, and you can't possibly anticipate. I mean, you know, we didn't expect on Trinity, we didn't expect Anima when we first were making the Trinity Core book. That was something we hadn't planned at the time. And now we're doing this whole new thing that's unrelated to it. And, and like, like you said, like that was structured in a way that's not going to be as big of a deal. So in retrospect, yeah, Origin could have been maybe structured a little bit differently, but that is to say that we should have absolutely everything planned out in advance 100% um, before we even start a project because then no project ever could start it. It's, it's better, I feel, for a game line to find new cool ideas and then, you know, after seven or eight years, it may be cool. And now we have nothing to try a third edition, see how third edition to incorporate all stuff in and play it out. Right. And yeah, exactly. And, and to bring back the whole idea of why, why do these sorts of supplements instead of going right to demigod and God is that they're not, um, you know, Oxpath is a, is a big company with a lot of freelancers and for a varying value of big company in this industry. Um, and we have a lot of projects in the pipeline and, um, I, I'm if I'm developing a book, like I'm the bottleneck essentially. I'm the one holding things up, and I'm the only one who can do it. And it's important to have no more than like two developers on a book because you want a book to have a coherent artistic vision to it. Right. That's the whole job of developers, making sure the the book speaks not not with one voice necessarily, but so that all the voices are in harmony with one another. Yep. And you can definitely tell on a lot of RPG books. You know, when a developer falls down on the job because the book is contradicting itself and, and this and there. So it's a hard job, but while I'm doing that, I can't really split my focus and do other things very well. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can do that if it's your full-time job, but for me, I'm a, I'm a freelance developer, so I, I basically have the bandwidth for one or two books at a time. And I have to stagger them so I'm not working on all of them at the same time. Right. And... So, but but Scion needs to go on, and Scion needs to, to to put out material, and there's lots of other people who have stuff to say on it. So, and there's lots of, as you were saying, like books that we can put out where you're playing at a certain level, like the hero level or the demigod level, that the other books may not simply touch on. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Also, I I, I like that we do have a bunch of diverse voices on a lot of the supplements. You know, we have quite a few women, we have some queer folks, we have, you know, some just a POC, like, it's not just a bunch of white people writing about these gods, which is cool. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's, that's always been true of the Scion writing team, but it's cool to see it in the development team as well. It makes me happy. Um, so let's talk a little bit before we're out of time about some of the upcoming projects. Uh, Saints and Monsters, Wild Hunt, No Gods, No Masters. Okay. Um, Those are all things. <laughs> One of the big core, uh, I wouldn't say core complaints, but a a criticism I heard of the original um, two core books, Origin and Hero, was that there wasn't a ton of reason for um, Scions to be running around with one another and to be sort of uh, adventuring together. Now, Demigod goes into one of the big reasons why for a little bit. Not just not only do you like each other, and not only do the gods have relationships outside their own pantheon. Um, and you know those children may want to get together. For example, um, Hermes and Thoth of the I- Greek and Egyptian pantheons are well-known patrons of occultists. So um, to the point where they're worshipped as the same deity. So if you're a sign of Hermes and a sign of Thoth, um, then y- you know it- it's-, it's like peanut butter and jelly. Another reason is sort of something that came up in the the, the new God of War game for 
for um, the PlayStation. And, uh, you know, spoiler alert, but at one point, uh, Kratos has to go into the Norse underworld and he's like, oh man, you know, what are the enemies like down there? And they're like, well, they're a bunch of cold monsters, so your cold axe won't work on that. And no flame forged by man can exist down there. And nothing like that. And he's like, cool. And he brings up the daggers from the first game, the fiery daggers forged by Hephaestus. Oh, nice. And, you know, it's it's sort of an outside context answer to the problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, other characters in the setting are like completely flabbergasted that this kind of magic even exists. Um, it's it's just completely foreign to them. And that's something you can do. A lot of the ways that the gods play out uh, their roles in different pantheons are fate-bound, and they have to follow a particular narrative pattern. And by just involving someone who doesn't play by those rules in the pattern, you have a chance to break it and maybe make it better or maybe make it much worse. I just make things worse. Yeah. That's my job. That's what most scions do. Um, but but one of the criticisms I had was there wasn't a ton of uh, one of the, there wasn't a ton of reason for besides that for PCs to be venturing around with one another. So Wild Hunt is essentially uh, groups of cross pantheon scions and cross pantheon organizations that your characters can be opposed to. They can become involved with. They can fight alongside. Um, for example, there's a lot of myths about sleeping kings and a lot of. North American, European, Asian, and African mythology. Um, and so we have a group called the King's Guard, essentially. And they're split down the middle because half of them want to keep all of these kings asleep because it's a bad thing if they wake up. And half of them want to wake the kings up because it's a good thing if they wake up. You know, if you wake up uh, Queen Shihangdui, the, the first emperor of China, that's bad. But if you wake up King Arthur, that's good. So, Why? Why is that? Because um, because Britain needs him. <laughs> I, I like the okay. authoritative sort of answer you gave there. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's cool. Yeah. So we've got a lot of really cool organizations in there, including yeah the titular Wild Hunt, which. Um, hunts down very powerful supernatural beings and you can be hunted by it you can join the hunt you can lead the hunt what Um, about uh saints and monsters saints and monsters is a scion player's guide and we are exploring all the different character options that don't deal that that are core to scion but you know uh but but aren't a different character type like dragon necessarily um, so we're really expanding the repertoire of legendary creatures. You know, you're playing satyrs and you're playing nymphs and that sort of thing. We're greatly expanding, um, the role of sorcerers from the core book. And we're having a full magic system in there and a full way to do it. And we're expanding the role of saints as well, which is part of where the, the title comes from. So you, you can play a purely mortal, but still holy person with essentially, um, you you are so holy that the gods themselves may not be as holy as you are. Wow. Um, and there's there's a lot of precedent for that in in Irish mythology, in Greek mythology, in um, Hindu mythology, um, of the gods basically being talked down to by by people who are holier than them. Of you're not you're not doing your duty as a god. Um, 
So, and one of the other things we're including there is we're including the ability for you to play Scions of Titans um, and what that means for you and what that kind of does to your metaphysical makeup to have that Titanic descent. That's super cool. Yeah. I want to be a Titanic Scion. That sounds awesome. Eddie, will you be a, an evil Titan Scion with me? I mean, duh. Yes, <laughs> gonna wreck shit. <laughs> okay, so that is uh, Saints and Monsters. There's too many sound effects. I'm trying to look at my 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 list. So the other thing that we have announced recently on the blog um, that people don't know too much about yet is No Gods, No Masters. Um, I think a lot of people saw that and were like, No Gods, this is Scion. That's it. It's a Fortnite Scion books now. You can't play it anymore. So maybe we should explain a little bit more about what No Gods, No Masters actually is. <laughs> no, Gods, no Gods, No Masters um, is a very famous anarchist slogan. Um, I mean, yes. That I, that I completely stole. Um, so to get a little bit high, high level for a second, I have a couple theories on game design. And one of the theories that I sort of hold near and dear is that every new edition of a game is in many ways a reaction to the previous edition. And every new edition of a game has the opportunity to learn from the old edition and learn the uh, pitfalls and the, the bad ways of doing things. And some of them learn better than others. And some of them decide to do it just the way this, this other previous edition did. And it, it doesn't come out as well because they didn't learn the pitfalls, because the previous edition was a reaction to that first edition. Um, the first edition of Scion had um, had a decided character arc in the back. It was done in what was called the storytelling adventuring system at the at the at the start of it. Um, ah, yes, the SASs. Yes, the SASs. Um, so they had particular series of scenes. Um, with certain challenges done up as a pretty standard adventure um, and structured in a way that you can kind of move between the scenes if you needed to. But um, that was the way it was. And th that was pretty much like the latter third of every Scion book was taken up by, by that adventure. Um, and it was, to be honest, the adventures were very much tailored towards the signature characters at the time. Um, but I felt it useful to see how an, a Scion game should be run as envisioned by the developers. And that's right. sort of the way I think that most adventures should be written. Like how, how do you, the developer and the writer think that they should play Scion? Right. And here's a way to do that. Here's all the tools to do it. Um, so the other thing that I really liked was a group of antagonists introduced in first edition Scion in the God book called the keepers of the world. And they include Imhotep and, Hercules and a number of other gods um, who basically have a beef with their parents. Um, they were gods who were greatly mistreated when they were mortals and were uh, kicked down or died horrible deaths. And they became gods and, you know, great, rah, rah, rah. But they never really forgot just how badly the gods abused them when they were mortals. And um, Imhotep's dream is very simple. They're going to weave a particularly powerful creation myth, which is that, that the thing I talked about back in God. And mm -hmm. they are going to weave a myth that's so powerful and so complete that it cuts the earth off from every other pantheon. 
It just it it recons them out of existence. Wow. Or seals or seals them away, and Imhotep doesn't really care which. Um, and so the only gods left will be the keepers of the world, over a, a you know a world, and it will be a world ruled by reason and a world ruled by rationality, and the the sun shall not rise, but a ball of flaming gas shall illuminate the world. So um, no gods, no masters is an adventure path, a series of linked adventures that deals with the machinations of the keepers and how exactly they're going about their creation myth and giving your characters the opportunity to stop them or join them if you agree with them, if you think the gods suck. That's really cool. No gods, no masters. <laughs> That'd be cool, yeah. Once again, Eddie, do you want to play uh, God no, Anarchist no, no, with me? There's like too many options. It's like, I, I want to play all these things. We could be Titanic Scions who are also God Anarchists. I mean, it's kind of redundant, I think, to certain amounts. <laughs> I mean, Titans kind of are anti-God to begin with. It's kind of their whole thing. Fine. Maybe we're anti-Gods and Titans. Maybe we're just like, no gods, no masters. <laughs> See? Anti-divinity. <laughs> anti-divinity. There we go. We are we are atheist Scions. Yes. Wait, what? <laughs> That's like the one thing it's hard to be in uh, the science setting. Sadly, true. Is an atheist. I mean, it's it's it's, it's possible to be like, yeah, I don't believe really anything. Like they're they're not gods. They're just weird people. Um, it's 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 possible, but it's it's hard. <laughs> so we're getting close to time, and also if there's any kind of banging sound going on on this recording, I apologize. I don't know what the hell is going on either above me in the apartment or next door, but it is loud. Um, like that. I, that's loud. I, I can't hear it. So. Anyway. <laughs> okay, well, it's 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 coming through my headphones, so it's it's loud on my end. It's um, from inside the apartment building. <laughs> oh no! They came from inside the apartment. Mm. Um. Anyway, it's really close time. Is there anything else you want to talk about, Scion wise? We didn't touch on here, Neil. Um. Yeah, I w- want to talk about the Scion anthology really quickly, where that's finally getting. Ooh, go for it. Um. There's a fiction. A lot of really good writers who are slated to write on that book. It's being developed and edited by Steffi Devon, um, who is fantastic. She is. I have full confidence in her. I'm really excited to both read it and be writing on it. Yeah, you're going to be doing a story for it. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. I will say that when we say um, this is it's like a, a weird weird thing uh editing means something different <laughs> we talk about the editing that i do versus like steffi is editing right. the anthology um and that is that people that develop short story anthologies for fiction are called the editor of that project um somebody will still be copy editing it which is what i do <laughs> it might even be me i don't know but um somebody will still be copy editing it but then it like if you look at any of our anthologies that i worked on my credit in there is copy editor and not right. editor Whereas on a rule book, it's just editor because the developer does the other stuff. It's it's, it's very strange how even with, with within the publishing industry, there are small pockets of different kinds of projects that have completely different terminology or that use things differently. It's 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 so weird to me sometimes because I like see somebody who's like an, an editor at like HarperCollins and like right, they don't do yeah. what I do. You know, they 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 acquire books and stuff. It's It's very weird. Industries are, are weird. It's, it's such when they use the same words over and over again. Because, like, on the flip side, on the video game side, what the developer does is very different than what developers do here. So, 
Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's 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 very weird because like when you talk to somebody from the video game space and you say that you're a game developer, it means something totally different. If you're talking about you know Vampire the Masquerade versus talking about Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, right? Exactly. <laughs> both both have developers and they do very different jobs. Um, well, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us to kind of just go over what all is going on with Scion right now, Neil. Sure. Thank you for having me. And I guess we will be uh, listening to the outro once. Oh, wait, I, I, I can't do the thing that Matthew did. Neil, where can people find you if they want to follow you? I don't want to leave you out like Matthew did to Martin. You can find me um, uh, at Burnt Neil, B-U-R-N-T-N-E-A-L-L on Twitter. You can find me on the Onyx Path Discord a whole bunch uh, where I am Neil Bryce. And yeah, uh, I, I generally pal around a couple of the fan servers sometimes, but either of those places are good to find me. Yeah, we don't want you to tag us like all the time, but if anybody ever does have like a burning fan question and they want to tag somebody in the official OPP Discord, like we'll get to yeah. it when we can. Yeah. You know, don't don't overuse that power. But uh, <laughs> if you have a question for one of us, well, you can throw it in there. If you want to at me in the Scion channel of the Discord every once in a while, then be my guest. I'm happy to answer. Yeah. So with that said, and me not pulling a Matthew and forgetting to ask somebody for their... Uh, details we will now go to the outro where matthew will probably be giving me shit for throwing him under the bus probably be pretty mad at me for saying that britain really needs king arthur too wasn't that fun that was fun matthew you can come out of the box now (laughs) oh no (laughs) see i told you guys you should put air holes in that but no no one listens to me there were air holes but they let a bunch of water in (laughs) Now, the only reason I can do that deep breath sound is because my humanity is high enough. Uh, I don't actually breathe. <laughs> we all know you don't blink, so. Exactly. It's, it's as R.E.M. would say, an imitation of life. We're going to make all the song references this episode. Yeah. It's fun. I like it. Um, yeah, so we talked a lot about Scion, as you all just heard. What Scion projects are you two looking, looking forward to the most? Oh, well, for me, it probably masks of the mythos. I mean, I think a lot of people are going to be saying that uh, because we've not delved into the worlds of Cthulhu too much over Onyx mm-hmm. Path before, but I've uh, I got a great love for Call of Cthulhu. It's probably the game I run more than any other, and so getting to see it uh, adapted for the story path system and see how it gels with Scion is very exciting to me. Not only that, we know Chris Spivey is an amazing creator and assembled yep. a fantastic team for this book. So, yeah, very much looking forward to that one. What about you, Eddie? Um, I'm actually really excited about Dragon um, because it'll be the first time we've really dipped, like a, a new faction into the war between the gods and the titans. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it's also the first time we've moved away from uh, extant mythology into something that's more of a blend between existing mythology and also a little bit more uh, pop mythology. Um, right. Certainly there are dragons in mythology, but also there, there's there's so much uh, fictional weight to the concept of dragons. There's a little bit of that too. And also it adds a nice, uh, um, it adds a nice spy espionage component, I think, to, to uh, Scion. Because right now Scion's very kind of, it's superhero and very over the top in a lot of ways, which is great. And it's a cool, fun vibe for scions you know because gods are mythic and they stride across the earth and do epic things 
um, but having one that's a little more sub rosa and, and um, beneath the margins and, and kind of uh, playing to the edges and between the lines of the Scion books is, I think, potentially going to be very, very cool. Awesome. I'm not going to lie. I'm looking forward to Demigod, but that's just because I worked on it. <laughs> well, I understand the, the Underworlds were very well written. Yeah, the Underworlds are great. Um, yeah, I, 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 I always talk about them. I didn't write all of the Underworlds. Like, just the good ones. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember who all worked on that chapter because it's, it's been a while. But there were at least, I think, three people, if not four or so, that we we, we divvied them up. Oh, okay. Um, I did get to pick a lot of mine, which which was cool because I picked the ones with which I was most familiar. Um, and then I ended up getting a couple dropped in my lap just because we needed them all to be written. Um, so I had some fun with them. It was it, It's one of the things that... Some cultures have really deep underworld myths. Like, obviously, things like, you know, Hades is pretty easy to write because there's so much material. Mm -hmm. But then a few of them, like the Tuathidae, they have they have some underworld afterlife stuff, but some of it's conflicting and the different sources are weird. And then uh, cultures like the Manitou, it's just like, after you die, it's just like this, only you're dead. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, I have to make some shit up then. Right. Uh, because I can't, like, players aren't going to enjoy just that bit of it. Like, there's some cool stuff. Like, there's there's underwater panthers, interesting monsters. Mm. But it's it's not it's not very detailed. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you want to give story hooks when you're writing stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to seeing Demigod in print just because I did enjoy the Underworlds. And I don't know which ones are getting illustrations, but I'm super excited to see what gets illustrated. Yeah. Um, because that's, that's always really cool is when you see an illustration based on something that you wrote, mm -hmm. even if it doesn't look how you expected it to, mm -hmm. it's just always neat. Like, um, working on Children of the Blood with Matthew recently, uh, there's a character that I wrote that Eddie also used mm -hmm. and I'm starting to be like, oh, he's probably like, all my characters might get portraits or, you know, the, like this, this, this one character might get a really cool illustration because he's, you know, elsewhere. And I'm like, that's just so nifty to me mm -hmm. that, you know, you can make something up in your head and then somebody draws it. Yeah, it's always been one of the most exciting points of creation or creating RPGs for me ever since I started was uh, seeing how the artists interpret your words, so, you know, or, or if your words end up being put in the art directions. But yeah, yeah. seeing a, yeah, a visualization of what you've written is quite amazing, uh, and I don't think it ever really stops. Uh, it's uh, I, I remember, I know we often go back to Chicago by night, but I think it deserves it. It's an amazing book. The mm -hmm. artwork in that, seeing everyone's creations turn into some of the most gorgeous art we've ever put in a role-playing game, uh, is still fantastic to me. And I'll still just look through that book just to admire the art. Yeah, when I first saw the portrait of Kevin Jackson overlaid with the city, I was like, this is amazing. Yeah, I love that Like, picture. he looks amazing. It's a beautiful piece. Um, there, there are quite a few beautiful pieces in that book. And yeah, like, I am definitely, like, as much as I'm looking forward to seeing the Demigod illustrations, there is part of me that's like, eh, they're underworlds. They've all been illustrated before, you mm -hmm. know? Like, there are existing depictions of them, for the most part. Because, you know, I mean, the, the, the Greek underworld has been illustrated millions of times, I'm sure, at this point. Right. Um, but yeah, then, then when, you, when you start thinking about it in terms of characters that, that you made up in your brain, it's like, oh, I wonder how the artist is going to draw them, because I know how I pictured them when I was writing them. Mm -hmm. 
but I really am, you know, curious to see how the artist in, interprets what I wrote. And because sometimes like it'll still be accurate, but it'll look completely different yep. from what you had in your head, which is always fascinating to me. It's like, oh, that's I, I thought I described him well, but no, I did. I This also makes sense. I'm OK with this. Now. Yeah, And also, at least in my experience, uh, um, often it's better um, because the artist is thinking about things that you're not necessarily thinking about. And so they bring an extra level or, or depth to a character just by the way they draw it. And it's just like, oh, there's so much more here than I had thought. I know like on Pugmire, I saw a lot of that is when Rich was doing initial sketches for it, he had lots of questions and suggestions and ideas and just made me think about things in a way that I hadn't even really been considering before. So yeah, it's great when an artist can bring an extra level of, of wow to a character that you had in your head. Yeah. The, um, one of the more interesting ones for me, like, uh, the, the first RPG writing I did was for which queen of the shadowed Citadel for Cavaliers mm -hmm. of Mars. And I wrote the front part of it, which describes this great machine and all this stuff. And an artist drew the great mm -hmm. machine. And it looks nothing like what I pictured. But it's still really mm -hmm. cool. <laughs> but, like, it, it, it's nothing like what I pictured in my head. Um, which is fine. But, you know, it was cool. Either way, that was a fun little digression. Cool. I like talking about yeah. art. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed hearing about the state of Scion. And uh, we should definitely talk more about the, the, the art process sometimes and what that means to everybody. Because I think it's really cool. I, th I think that's one of the, the, the topics that we keep like thinking about. Maybe we'll get to this Sunday, so maybe it's getting closer to that day. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's hard to talk about art because it is so visual, right. but, you know, that's what the show notes true, are for, right? True. Uh, so anyway, Eddie, if people wanted to find you and talk to you about having your words transformed into art, where would they do so? Uh, they can find me at Pugsteady.com or on most social media as Pugsteady. Matthew. I'm over on MatthewDawkins.com and on Twitter as Clack Click Bang. You can find me most places at Dixie Cyanide. You can find us on the web. On the web? On the internet? I don't know what I was about to say. You can find us most places as the Onyx Path. Cyberspace. Cyberspace. You can find You can find us on the Opnet as the Onyx Path. Um... Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm just going to wrap this up then because my brain just broke. Uh, as always, many worlds, one path cast. <laughs>